The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to The Legendarium. Welcome to The Legendarium. You can't tell by now that this is going to be a different episode because I do not have the dulcet tones of Craig. This is Stephanie here, which means we have the ladies of the Legendarium in the studio today. Yeah. Yeah. So just a little housekeeping to start things off. We would love your support of our podcast through Patreon. If you want to join in any of our discussions, you can find all of our links through thelegendarium.com. And then just so you know... We are going to be discussing The Golden Compass. It is the first book in his Dark Matters trilogy. Dark Materials. Dark Materials. I don't know what I just said. Dark Materials by Philip Pullman. Thank you for the correction. And this is going to be a spoiler-filled episode. We are going to be talking from beginning to end and everything in between. And to start us off, Megan is going to give us a recap of what actually happens in the book. Okay. 12-year-old Lyra Balacro runs wild with her demon pantaliman around Jordan College, Oxford, under the guardianship of the college's master. One day, she witnesses the master poison wine intended for her uncle, Lord Azriel, but she warns him not to drink the wine and then spies on his lecture about dust, mysterious elementary particles attracted to adults more than to children. Soon after, Lyra's best friend Roger goes missing, presumed kidnapped by child abductors known as the Gobblers. The charming and lovely Mrs. Coulter offers to take Lyra to her home in London, but before Lyra leaves the college, the master entrusts her with an alethiometer, a strange golden truth-telling device which Lyra quickly learns to use. When she discovers that Mrs. Coulter is the head of the Gobblers, or General Oblation Board, Lyra flees to the Egyptians, the Egyptians, many of whose children have also been abducted, and who reveal to Lyra that Lord Azrael and Mrs. Coulter are her parents. The Egyptians and Lyra form an exposition expedition to the arctic where they believe the gobblers are holding their children along the way lyra meets yorick burnison the dispossessed royal heir of the armored bears and using the alethiometer helps him locate yorick's missing armor in return he and his human aeronaut friend lee scoresby join her group lyra is captured by bounty hunters and taken to bullvanger the gobbler research station where she is briefly united with roger and then is nearly severed from Pantalaimon, but Mrs. Coulter rescues her and explains that the soul-splitting process called intercision prevents the onset of troubling adult emotions. Lyra sets the station on fire and evacuates the station, and she, Roger, and Yorick fly towards Fallbard in Scoresby's hot air balloon, but Lyra falls out and is taken captive by the armored bears to the castle of their usurping king, Yorfer Ragnason. Yorick fights Yorfer and regains his place as the rightful king. Lyra, Yorick, and Roger continue to Svalbard, where Lord Azrael kidnaps Roger um, so he can take him up a mountain, sever Roger from his demon, killing Roger, and releasing an enormous amount of energy that tears a hole in the Northern Lights into a parallel universe through which Lord Azrael walks and Lyra follows. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So, guess the first question to be asked is, what was your overall thoughts of The Golden Compass? Overall thoughts. Um, I, I really liked the world that it set up. I felt like it was easy to picture that. There's some books that do a lot of that that initial setup and it's harder to follow, but I could easily picture this world very similar to ours, but a little different. And mm-hmm. I thought that was, you know, a, a fun kind of little <laughs> take. I So I was introduced to this series when they did the movie a bunch of years ago. There's like a movie with Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched that movie and thinking about it, I'm like, I remember there were bears. I remember there are demons. Um, so it was fun to reread the book. And I'm with you, Rachel, where I kind of like that it takes place in a world very similar to ours, but it's definitely not our world. Um and I've read so much high fantasy lately. It's kind of nice to read something that I feel like I can identify <laughs> with a little bit more. Um, but also like just has these really interesting questions. that I could, I just overall, I was like, oh, this is interesting. I'd, I'd kind of like to see where this is going because the end of the book ends in a good place, but it's definitely not the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I just I've actually already read the second book. And so I'm I'm just excited to see where it all goes. That's really fun. What do you think, Stephanie? So this was an interesting one. I kind of compared to this one while I was reading it to Harry Potter. 
I okay. Like in a way, because Harry Potter kind of takes place. It takes place in our world, but not quite our world. Yeah. Because it's yeah. a little different. You have this really young um, protagonist that all of this stuff is happening to them. And they're trying to that, that come of age thing. That's kind of how I felt with Lyra and what she was yeah. going through. She's having all of these things happen to her that as a young child is kind of hard to absorb and to understand and so as I'm reading all of this, I'm like, I kind of feel a little bit like Harry Potter, which yeah. isn't a bad thing. I enjoyed Harry yeah, Potter. It, I don't want to be like, no, Harry Potter bad. But Well, and it's also interesting because she's like uniquely suited to these situations that she runs into, kind of like Harry is where he's like, oh, I'm just going to do these things. And it works out. Where mm-hmm. like, yeah, Lyra- it's that, that typical trope of that coming of age prepubescent. You're, you're the person with what it takes to fulfill this destiny or to save the world yeah. or something which is always a nice you know because we always put ourselves kind of in that protagonist shoe and like imagine that we are the one that has what it takes that are unique things when they talk about her and the witches and that there's a prophecy around mm-hmm. lyra yeah. that it is her destiny to save not only their world but all of these other worlds we don't really quite sure what the prophecy kind of is and she's not allowed to know about it for whatever reason that is like, okay, she's important, but we're not going to tell her she's that, important. That was something that was interesting that I feel like usually you either you as the reader are in on it, even if the protagonist isn't, but it kind of still kept us in the dark a little bit. Like mm-hmm. we know a little bit, but we still don't know a lot. But in that scene that you're talking about where this witch says that kind of that prophecy that I had that in my notes that she she says that this, I thought it was interesting where she talks about destiny versus fate and how fate guides your destiny. And I know, and I thought that was interesting. And I didn't know if I agreed with that or not. I know. What do you think <laughs> about that? I don't really know what that means. I don't remember that conversation. Yeah. Well, I only remember pieces of that conversation. It's, so she's, it's when the witch is like with Lee Scoresby and they're in the hot air balloon and she says, like, okay, Lyra's destiny is to ultimately save all these worlds. And every step that she's been brought along on the way is fate. Like, so it was fate that Roger was taken because without Roger being taken, she wouldn't have gone to the north. And she says, you can't change who you are, only what you do. And I, I don't know. I, I had mixed feelings because I hate that phrase so much because I just feel like, well, yes, you can change who you are. But then, I don't know. What if, what if you can like you can't change who you are, but you only can change what you do. And maybe we think so much of what we do is who we are. I think that's probably one of the reasons why they don't want to tell Lyra, hey, you're the child of prophecy and this is what you're going to do because then she's going to second guess every single thing that she does along the way. Um, I, Especially knowing that this book is kind of geared toward younger children. I think it would, well, you know, like middle adolescents who are trying to figure out like, who am I? What do I actually believe? What do I want to do? Where... um you know, everything that happens to her leads her to where she gets, like where she's supposed to go just by virtue of who she is and the choices that she makes and the choices that people make around her. And there's a piece of me that's like, that would make me feel really strong and really confident because like, okay, I'm going to make mistakes, but they will lead me to where I need to go anyway. Or like, these are good things that I did. I like this person that I'm becoming. I like the way that I'm, the direction that I'm going into, which as an adult, I often feel very helpless because things happen to me. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know what to do about that. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know how to fix it. Um, and so like. <laughs> like, I like in a story when the mistakes play into their ultimate destiny or fate. It's like, well, if that mistake hadn't happened, they didn't, wouldn't have gained this knowledge. And I always, I know, I always think that that's kind of interesting well I think for me it plays into a lot of the thought of free agency Mm -hmm. I mean we're all religious e type kind of people yeah we all have a religious background and I think it's hard to talk about this book without talking about religion and how religion plays into it because I think there's a lot of parallels with religion in our world and specifically Christianity and how this book plays out. And I know that there was a lot of controversy around this book when it came to religion, because in this book, the church are the bad guys. Right. They're the ones that are doing all of these horrific things to yeah. children. And I know as a parent, I'm sitting here thinking, well, who in their right mind would want to do something where you're talking about severing, severing. the soul of a child right? Um, to make them more or to keep them innocent, I guess, is what their thought process is. 
But I think we have to talk, like, talking about the free agency of what our characters are. Like, when you're talking about the difference between fate and destiny and yeah. your choices do matter. They they play into who you become, what you do, even though somewhere along the line, like, this is going, like, you have your A, B, and C points that you're going to hit across your life. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of whether you take a straight road through A, B, and C or you take your winding road through A, B, and C just through your choices is kind of how I see Lyra's path through all of this. Yeah, like that's that. I definitely saw like the themes of choice being a constant theme throughout. You have all of the children, their their demons change constantly. They're always changing yeah. form, but then when you hit that puberty, you suddenly like you stop having kind of that choice. They are in a more solid form, and I thought that that was that was interesting. I was trying to come up with theories like, okay, why is it that they can't change? Is she going to be one that hits puberty and hers? doesn't get a solid form maybe she'll be the one that has a demon that stays you know stays changing because mm-hmm. she has more free thought than other people that obviously we all, I don't know where it goes after <laughs> this so I could be wrong who knows um I just think Lyra is such an interesting character because this girl lies like nobody's business like she feels <laughs> so comfortable lying yeah well she gets renamed silver tongue right yeah Oh, yeah. Well, and there's at one point they make a comment where they're like, what does she say? Uh, lying makes her feel in control. <laughs> like she's the one controlling the story and telling the story. And these are what these people are going to know about me. And I just think I don't I have a, I would have a hard time remembering all the lies. <laughs> I, I get stressed out by yeah. lying. <laughs> I am one of those people like, no, I don't remember. What did I say to you? Crap. Um, yeah, I yes, now. I, yes, I all of a everything. sudden yeah. I'm like living on the moon because I can't remember what I told people that right. I was doing with my life. And like, <laughs> but so. she also just has this innate ability. Like, she weirdly, I feel like she's unsympathetic, but she's also really good at getting people to love her. Like, she helps people along the way. She helps Yorick find his, um, find his armor, and then he's like her oh. bestie forever. Uh-huh. Yeah. He just loves her and will take care of her. And it's like, sure, you can ride on my back. Let's, you know, gallop across the frozen tundra for two weeks. Yeah. Um, where all of these people, and even, you know, her mother, Mrs. Coulter, who is a ghoul, she is terrifying, this woman. Um, her mother loves her. She doesn't want to take care of her, but she still has like this feeling yeah, of- she doesn't want her to have- her demon separated from her. She doesn't want right. her to have the same fate other children are having. She wants to protect She her still wants that. to protect that. And Lord's yeah. Azrael as well. Where you're like, he's also kind of a not nice person. Not even quite though they're sure all, what okay, to think yeah, about him. Did that take you guys by surprise? Because especially yes. usually young adult books have a pretty clear cut, good, bad guy. And so from the beginning, at the very beginning, when you thought he was her, her uncle, and I was like, okay, Lord Azrael, he's pretty cool. Like I imagine a pretty good like stand up dude. And then... I don't know. I don't know what to think where he's also not great, but he also isn't e- extremely on a different side than Mrs. Coulter. That seemed weird to me that like, wait, they're now somewhat on the same side, but they're both not good or what is going on? Well, they seem to have the same goal, which is to get rid of dust. Yeah. And I thought that because I definitely didn't see that going in. I thought her goal was going to be getting rid of dust and Lord Azrael's goal even if he exploited people along the way, would be utilize it. But then it surprised me when he's like, nope, we're going to get rid of it. Like, But it's in this other parallel universe. Yeah. So we have to do this horrible, sever this child's demon so we can unleash the power and I can go into this other place and then fix it. Yeah. Which we don't know what those other worlds look like. <laughs> so how would he do that? Uh-uh. Yeah, that's where I, I was. I was just I was just surprised by it's kind by of him. nutty. Can we talk a little bit about demons? Yes. yes. I just think can. this whole idea is so fascinating. Do you want a familiar, a little demon familiar? Because I do. Uh, it would be nice, especially since I live alone. It'd be nice to have somebody to talk to. But then I also <laughs> have independent independence issues that like something with me always. Oh, so my. I don't know. <laughs> I was talking to Ryan about this because um, we started watching part of the TV series. Oh. And we were discussing this and he's like, I don't know if I'd feel comfortable having my own life directly connected to this other entity that if something happened to them that something could happen to me and there's moments mm-hmm. even that like um yeah it's a little dicey that all of these little kids like uh, especially the kids in this book that they they're from their demons are captured and all of a sudden they're now they can't run away yeah 
they, no one's touched them. They could have easily gotten away if they didn't have this little demon that was following them around. And yeah. I was like, I don't know how I'd feel about all of a sudden, like my safety and my life is attached to, to this, another this other little being yeah. that I have to. But at the same time, I can understand, like, as Lyra talks about Pan and her connection with him. And I mean, it is. It's part of who she is and it's her soul. And if you're raised that way, I probably wouldn't think anything of it. Yeah, it's but. just it's always been there. And they have this funny little culture that has sprung up around it where they talk about how, like, if two demons fight, they go with whichever demon won the fight. Like the owners of the mm-hmm. demons honor that. Um, but there's also kind of this. I don't know if it's an unspoken rule where you don't touch somebody else's demon, which is why it's extra horrifying when people start grabbing children's yeah. demons. Yeah, to the sever taboo them. they call that. Yeah. And see, those were things I thought that was going to be foreshadowing more of that. Like maybe we'll get past that and maybe that will be the answer. Maybe these kids who've had their demons severed from them, there will be less of a taboo when people could share part of their soul or their demon with someone and that would heal them. But that that didn't happen. But I, I thought that would be a thing. I was like, because when she talks about like how that taboo is so strong with touching another demon, I was like, maybe, maybe there's something there yeah. that will get. But I find it fascinating when you, um, like you'll have the characters talking and then their demons are doing something completely different, like Mrs. Coulter's. Like that's really where you start to get the very nefarious sense of, oh, there's something not right here because she's like this lovely composed woman. And then you have her demon, which is like the biggest brat ever. It was just horrible, like biting and fighting with other demons. And, you know, and you're just like, okay, so what do we need to know about her? Like, how are other people not noticing that there's something really seriously wrong going on here? Well, there's a lot of talk as I was reading into the bigger picture of this story of what happens when their demon, like when these kids hit puberty and their demons become solidified into their one creature Mm -hmm. and how well that plays into who they are. And they talk about like the witches, the witches all have their demons and most of the witches all have birds. Yeah. Well, the witches all can fly and it's all, when you think of characteristics of what a bird is, it kind of makes sense for that. And they talk about all of the servants have dogs. Well, dogs are always known to be that loyal companion that's willing to do whatever you want. And when yeah. you think of a servant, like that's kind of what you want in a servant. Yeah. And so, and they talked about um, Lord Azrael's, who is a snow leopard, if I remember right. And, and the meanings behind some of these cats mm-hmm. and the strength and the cunningness that comes with these cats. And so it was kind of me thinking, we actually had someone ask, and I have been thinking about this yeah. question for days as to what kind of <laughs> animal my demon would have settled on. Okay. I don't yeah. have an answer still. Uh, that, that is super <laughs> interesting. I, I had that too. I was just like thinking that like, oh, what would mine, and would I be satisfied with it? <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's like these kind of questions, again, like if we're bringing up Harry Potter or people will be like, what would your Patronus be? Or what would you transform into if you were an animagi? An animagi? And um, I and I'm like, well, I feel like my Patronus would be like a little lizard, like one of the little green or brown skittery lizards that used to run around the desert where I grew up. <laughs> oh, um, I love lizards, you guys. They're so cute. They're, they're the best. And uh, like immediately I was like, well, I think I would want that as my demon also but i kind of feel like i'd be more like a chameleon even though i think they are so ugly <laughs> but they you know they kind of blend in the into their surroundings kind of thing they yeah. just kind of go with the flow they're usually really chill which i definitely feel like i just blend into the surroundings a lot of the time um not on this podcast you guys you're getting theater megan <laughs> i'm a lot more fun so i don't know what that means well i spend most of my time like thinking most of these demons are little rodents mm-hmm. and little furry creatures which utterly terrify me oh no like one of my biggest fears are those stupid little rodent creatures so, like i'm sitting here and i'm thinking oh she has this ferret and there's mice and there's and they're just like around their neck and they're like crawling all over them and i was like i don't want this in my life <laughs> and so i'm really struggling trying to figure out i'm i would guess mine would probably be a bird but <laughs> i i really i don't have an answer for what I would suspect my demon would be like. I think mine would on. have to be something that can fly, but but also something small. Because half the time when they're when they're caught, when their demon was getting caught, I was like, why didn't they just transform into something itty bitty and teeny tiny? Because it doesn't matter if it's a giant True. cat that's you know captured you. If you're a flea, you can just crawl out of there, buddy. You can just hang out on his fur, and you are not. I think captured they're in anymore. shock. I think they don't know what to do. Where it's like. 
Yeah. Oh, somebody just grabbed me. I don't know what to do. And they just freeze. And There's they freeze a into moment the... in the TV show with a journalist who has her, her demon is a moth. Oh. And he easily captures the moth. And when he crushes it in his hand, he <gasps> kills her. Oh. <gasps> and so when you're sitting here talking about wanting something itty bitty that can, I was like, no, but no. Insects that also not always the oh. best option. <laughs> this is true. But that's in the TV show. That doesn't happen in the book. There is an interesting thing, though, where I think about the demons and like my first thought was like, oh, it's like having a little Jiminy Cricket that's just hanging out with you forever where you have this conscience. But the the demons also look out for these kids. Like there are a couple of times where she's like, Pat Simon, go and check around this corner and see if it's OK. And he can let her know. But there's also a part where if you have somebody outside of you that you need to communicate, you need to talk to them. And so. If you're in a group of other people or other people around, it's kind of hard to have a conversation with your conscience, with the other half of your soul when there are other people like, you know, as opposed to your internal Jiminy Cricket in our (laughs) world. Um, I don't know. And their attentions were divided, too. I thought that was interesting. Like if they were having a conversation with another human, but then their demon was talking to the other person's demon, they Mm -hmm. couldn't keep their their concentration on their own conversation. And I thought that was really just funny. I was like, I bet there would be a lot more mayhem in this world. I just feel like everyone's got ADHD and no one is able to get anything done at this point. So what do we think about the actual name? I mean, for is in our world, demon is definitely not something that you would want your soul called. Right. So here we have an author who has chosen the word demon to describe part of these people's soul and especially in a very religious book uh i don't know on the bigger picture of this book is very religious and i thought it was interesting like thinking about this like he just named your soul a demon how that it was an interesting wordplay and it's the opposite gender of the person yeah i think there's one case where she meets somebody and she's like he had you know he had this demon and it was the it was also a boy like that was so weird to them I know that I is know. interesting. Just the choice for that name. I don't. Out of everything that he could have called them, he chose to call them demons. I thought like a was, demon on your shoulder kind of thing. Yes. I don't know. Instead of a Jiminy Cricket on your shoulder, <laughs> like <laughs> that's what I always have on my I know, shoulder. Well, I and maybe it plays into because part of it, um, Mrs. Coulter at the end when she's, well, I mean, she's lying, I guess, but when she's telling Lyra, she's like, you know, we want to sever your demons now because right now it's a fun little companion, but later i don't know what does she say she says something about it either being uncontrolled and so they have the servants or the nurses up at the station that she says had their severed mm-hmm. and they were just kind of without any sort of personality little, yeah zombie like yeah so maybe is that what's playing into where they're obviously playing into this magisterium is super bad and the magisterium hates you know maybe these you're- yeah well they're uh- the Lord Asriel talks at the end about how dust is basically original sin. Mm-hmm. And so when your demon solidified, when Adam and Eve fell from the garden and their demon solidified into one form, that was when original sin started. And so he, they're like trying to keep that from happening to children so that they can't sin, so that they can stay innocent. And they're like, Mrs. Coulter thinks that maybe severing the children from we'll their demon from. will keep them innocent forever, but also is innocence worth it in that case like why wouldn't they you know they'll make choices and they'll do bad things and they'll do good things but they'll have that option because of their demon i also really like seraphina pecola talks about um oh i just lost my train of thought what were you gonna say rachel oh uh, shoot (laughs) i know well just just with that that choice coming back to that the main theme of the book of being choice if that's the whole thing is the magisterium wants to take the choice away from kids from maybe I don't know, whatever the the dust is doing to them. Maybe that's where that plays into that whole. One thing I found fascinating about the demons, that and that was one of those things that Serafina Pecola was talking about, is that um, the demons, a lot of times they'll solidify into a shape. So it's like one that's the demon is what it is for the rest of your life. And there are people who find out what their demon is and they're disappointed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, which I, I was like, I could totally see that happening to me. And yeah. she's like, really, the only choice they have is to learn who they are and come to peace and to appreciate who they are instead of who they wish they were. That's the conversation Lyra that. has with um, Yurik. 
Okay, that one. It's their conversation because she's what? talking about how she doesn't want um, Pantalaimon to ever change. She want, she loves the fact that he can yeah. always choose and everything. And she's asking him, like, well, don't you ever get lonely? And they're talking about this idea because the armored bears don't have demons. Mm-hmm. And so she makes some comment about, well, what if I don't like him when he settles on whatever it is? Yeah. And it, they talk about that it's more of whatever... That's on you. That's on your choices, and and you need to come to terms with whatever where where you yeah. are in your life. And I thought that was the other like and that main like kind of thing of this book is being satisfied with who you are and that kind of coming of age idea of because they because he says that he says um, something with like there's many people who want to have a lion but they end up with a poodle until they learn to be satisfied they're going to be fearful about it but. You know, once you're satisfied and say, okay, this is who I am. Yeah. Um, speaking of Yorick Bernison, I oh. think it's fascinating that Lyra, like, helps him become king again by convincing his nemesis that she is a demon and that she could be I thought uh, that whole scene was demon. Hysterical. Isn't it awesome? She does such a good job with that where she's, because <laughs> she knows that humans are the only ones that have demons, but she's playing against this bear's uh, wishes to work against him. Well, and I think she, un- unbeknownst to her, was because there's that conversation she has that when she is trying to battle Fence or whatever, Yorick, and mm-hmm. he's like, humans can't trick a bear. Bears just can't be tricked by humans. So oh, when yeah. she co- turns around and does that exact thing and tricks a bear into believing that she's a demon and that she can be his demon as long as he doesn't kill Yurik when he shows up and they need to battle and everything. So then she goes back and tells Yurik like, oh, well, I tricked him. I can do this. And Yurik now knows like that's because he's no longer a bear. Like he has gotten, he's become so human that he no longer has those bear qualities that Yurik knows. He's like, well, in that case, which then goes into that whole battle scene where he's faking his, his broken paw mm-hmm. and like he's slowly just trying to get his yeah. own footing and he then turns around and just tricks um whatever the Yilfer. king's name is Yilfer. yeah and yeah. then just like swipes his lower jaw off and it goes it flying graphic it's horrible it was <laughs> graphic and i was like wow that's that was a lot more blood than i was expecting to be <laughs> did you guys Oh, maybe it was only me. Did you have a crush on Yorick? Because I thought, I did not know I would have a crush on a polar bear, but it turns out I'm not surprised by this. I like Thanos also, so this should have been no surprise. But he was just, he was a cool guy. Like, I mean, bear. He's just a fantastic beast. That's well, all. He's like the cool uncle that you wish you had. Well, except I don't have crushes on my uncles. Like, I, at all. Yeah. I gotcha. <laughs> Never mind. So gross. He's the cool uncle I wish I had. Okay. I don't so know, I he always reminds me of then. like the older brother of your best friend. There we go. The older brother of your best friend. The guy yes. that you, ha- that you associate with every once in a while, but you have a crush on. Yes. But you can't tell your best friend that you have a crush because it's his, like their older brother or whatever. Like that's who I think of him as. Yeah. He was just, he was so cool. I was like, he's like this magnificent. I just want more of his story. At this point, I was like, I could I could take it or leave it with wherever Lyra's going in this other world. I just want to know what's happening with Yorick. See, and I want to know more about Lee Scoresby because I think he is awesome. Yeah. And he just makes me so happy where he's like this cowboy, but he's an aeronaut cowboy. Well, and that's what I'm, I, and I haven't read the other books and right. I, I don't know when the TV show, but is he just gone now or does he come back? Because yeah, I, I just thought he was just super cool, but he literally just like, disappeared and we just don't know he's like oh yeah he kind crashed he's fine but he he's crashed fine. somewhere he's, he's so gone somewhere. we don't know what he's doing because <laughs> like, he's not in the story anymore <laughs> like we just don't want to focus yeah. on he's him he's not anymore. important right now so i feel like usually in books i'm pretty good at um kind of guessing where it's going that like foreshadowing and i was proven wrong a couple times with this one oh. which frustrates me now but i'm still not ruling it out that it will still happen later or just now I'm just like upset because that's not what happened. But where she talks so much about, you know, how painful it would be to be separated from your demon and that that there's no way to live. I really thought that she was going to get separated from mm-hmm. hers. And I thought it was going to be at the end when Roger, when her dad sees her and it's like, I didn't send for you, but sees Roger. I was like, oh, no, she's going to sacrifice herself to still get that power and then still have demon with her. She's going to live, but they just aren't going to have that. And 
it didn't happen. <laughs> so so I, I feel a little disappointed about that. I can understand that. I've, I've been frustrated by things like that before. Yeah. When I knew like, I see where this is going. Nope. That's not where it is. I do think it's interesting. So apparently this book, when it was released in England originally was called Northern Lights. Mm-hmm. And it was changed to the Golden Compass when they moved it here to America, because apparently, like with Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, Americans can't handle, I don't know, words we're not familiar with, even though, like, we still have Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, and she just explained in the book what the heck that meant, and we all were like, oh, It okay, actually yeah. came from the publisher. Oh, yeah, really? I, I think it's purely a marketing thing. Like, Golden Compass sounds a little, like... Like so I guess the working intriguing. the working title for the trilogy was supposed to be the Golden Compasses. So oh. the publisher here in the United States, that's what they were working with. But he hadn't settled on an official title. So okay. when, by the time they came out that they were going to what the official title of the trilogy was going to be, the U.S. publisher was already stuck on the Golden Compass. And that's how oh. the first book I looked this up that's today. How, OK, cool. Yeah. So, yeah. So the first book then got released as the Golden Compass, which once I read the book, didn't make any sense to me. I was like, yeah, they should have kept it. The Northern Lights. I get that. Like the, the alethiometer looks like a compass, but it's it's not right. And so I was kind of like I would have rather it had been the Northern Lights where because that is definitely it's. That's where an, the an whole thing is going. Yeah, it's an important event that happens within the books, and it made more sense to me. Yeah. But, eh, I'm not a publisher. I am i don't know. I just read the book, so <laughs> I don't really have any say on what Who we call the book. do you think his is in his dark materials? That's what the whole trilogy is called, like, is this? Who? I know that it's a quote from, it's a quote Okay. His, his dark material, it's a quote, and now I don't know what it was a quote from, but let me see if I can find it while you guys discuss something. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, so his dark materials comes from a quote in John Milton, Paradise Lost. It says book two, and the entire quote that is in here, that I guess it's the quote that's in the ta- before the table of contents actually in the book. Into this wild abyss, the womb of nature, and perhaps her grave, of neither sea nor shore, nor air, nor fire, but all these in their pregnant causes mixed confusedly, and which thus must ever fight, unless the Almighty Maker them ordain his dark materials to create more worlds. Into this wild abyss the wary fiend stood on the brink of hell and looked a while, pondering his voyage. So that is where his dark materials come from. And I'm assuming his is the Almighty Maker. Yeah. Okay. And they and these are the materials. His to materials make other... to create other worlds. Interesting. His. So his materials are what, like the people, souls of the What's people, that, like the, the dust? dust, or yeah, that probably. I but... would assume in our our book that we are okay. reading, yes, that the dust is probably that. And I think that we'll idea. find out more, maybe what the dust is because it's probably not exact obviously what the magisterium says it is that's the whole thing is they think right well and i love that um you know both i don't love this that uh mrs coulter and lord Azrael are trying to get rid of the dust and at the very end pantalime is like if they think it's bad i bet it's good yeah we should go and find out and then totally stop them doing what they're doing because i bet that it's a good thing and i just first of all i was like that is such a child thing to do (laughs) to be like I'm going to think on my own. And you know what? These bad guys think it's bad or think it's bad. So maybe it's a good thing and let's go after it. But also I just, yeah. it just speaks a lot about Lyra and how brave she is. And she's like, well, I've, I've come through all of this stuff. Got to go save the world. Let's yeah. do it. So Parallel just universe. A random. So I was reading through some reviews of this book earlier and there was a woman who I guess is a professional book reviewer. Oh. And I don't know when this review was posted. So, but that's not the point. But she stated that she wanted to give this book one star, which I don't think I feel like it deserves better than that. Agreed. But her she then continued on for her reasonings. And she stated that she does not feel like this is a children's book, that who we feel like this, like what who this book was written for is not who should be reading this. Because when you think of Lyra, you have her and the people that she should entrust most in her life her parents are the bad guys and what are we teaching our children that it is okay to lie and manipulate to do whatever you want to run away 
from these people, which in Lyra's case is very much what she needs to be doing because Mm -hmm. her parents are bad people. But is this what you want your child to be learning and gaining from these books? And I thought that was interesting going, okay, well, maybe because she recommended that this is more for uh, a teenage kind of feel like get into junior high and high school. Okay. When you're reading this, not so much for a younger child. I mean, my only child is six. I don't see me reading this to him anytime soon. Sure. But it's a book (laughs) that I feel like I could share with him and that he would enjoy Especially once he got to be like maybe 10, I'm pretty sure my son would really like these armored bears and the battle because he's a boy and he likes stuff like that. But I thought it was just interesting her because she said that she's not a mother. She's not religious. She doesn't have any problems with like the context. It's just this hero that we're supposed to be supporting. She doesn't feel is a good role model for kids. And I was I don't know. That is that is that's really interesting because like with Harry Potter, it's that he doesn't have parents which is that you're in that vulnerable position that's some you know yeah but he still has an authority figure that he respects which is Dumbledore and authority figures that he doesn't respect which is I think probably a healthy thing to mm-hmm. to teach that just because someone isn't isn't is in a position of authority it doesn't mean that they they are perfect or have your best interests at heart and it's good to be skeptical but yeah and this it does seem like I know, but she has, she has, but Lyra has other people in her life that are those more respected characters because like yeah, Ma Costa and basically all of the Egyptians that kind of take her in. And this is my, my feeling on it because this woman complained about those are secondary characters and that's who they need to stay. They need to stay secondary. And I was like, I don't agree with that. I think secondary characters are just as important as, as your main characters and yeah. they move the story forward. But if you watch Lyra... She is constantly lying and manipulating and trying to get away from um, Mrs. Coulter, even before she knows that it's her mother. Yeah. Because she doesn't trust her. There's some some big trust issues. But as soon as she gets in with the Egyptians, she has no problem showing them mm-hmm. the alethiometer. She's honest and open with them. She tells... And so that's kind of how I feel like it's not necessarily that she is a bad role model for kids. I think if anything, she's teaching kids that there are going to be adults in your lives that you can trust. And there are going to be adults in your life that you can't. And sadly, some of those adults might be the closest to you. Yeah. And they're just not there for, for your best interest. And I think that's something that kids, I mean, I don't know if my six year old needs to understand that because I'm pretty sure he has great parents, but that's my own (laughs) opinion. (laughs) I like his parents. But so he understands that that there might be those people in his life that aren't looking out for him and his best interest. But there are going to be those people that he that are and he needs to understand how to tell the difference yeah. between those. And I feel like Lyra does a good job with that. So I don't necessarily agree with this, yeah. this well, little reviewer, but I thought she brought up an interesting yeah, that point. Is a, it, it is an interesting point. I, I do think it's interesting looking at Lyra. She's basically raised by committee. Like she's 12 years old before she finds out that she has parents because they <laughs> like Mrs. Coulter completely absent in her life until the moment when she's like, oh, come and live with me. You can come and be my little assistant and we'll do all these fun things. Um, Lord Azriel is there he kind of comes in and out but otherwise lara is just being raised by like these people in the college and the kids in the town and just kind of you know flittering about which is probably how she learns to like and she just kind of does her own thing and so knowing that these two people are her parents those are words that are that's a word that is meaningful to me because i have a really good relationship with my parents and i love them deeply but to her like oh she's my mother and she like rejects that for a long time she's like she's not my uh, lord azrael i can accept him as my father but you know because she has this idea in mind of what that means and mrs coulter never is that like she kind of gets to the point where she's like i guess she's my mother but it's kind of it's like (laughs) gardens of the galaxy she's my mother but she's not my mommy you know you know what i mean (laughs) so that's a little bit where i come from it too but i like your point where Children, I would hope that they would have parents that they could trust and talk to. But even then, sometimes it's nice to have like another adult, an aunt or a teacher or somebody that you can talk to if there's something you're concerned about and you're not quite ready to talk to your parents or something, you know, 
Like there need to be other people that you can trust and be vulnerable with because it's like kids are generally so trusting and so loving and yeah. it that gets abused and that not everybody is kind with children's feelings and emotions and their needs. And so I'm glad that Lyra finds people who will take care of her because she flees Mrs. Coulter. Like that's a horrifying situation where it seemed so perfect. And she runs to the Egyptians and she, or the Egyptians. Um and, you know, finds the older brother of one of her best friends. And she's like, oh, okay, I can trust you. I think I can talk to you guys. And she realizes that they're all on the same side. And I'm so glad that she finds those people. Okay, so there is a moment in the book that I found touching that I kind of want to talk about. And it's the moment that she finds that she goes off and finds the ghost boy. She finds Tony without oh, yeah. his demon. And... So I have since watched both the the movie and the TV series. And neither one of them have kept true to the story where it is just a little boy that she doesn't know. Um, Both the movie and the TV series have made it Billy, who is a friend of hers from the college. It's not her best friend, Roger, because he's the one that works. But he's the Egyptian. Yeah, he's the Egyptian boy. Um, Billy Costa, and that is the boy that it ends up in on the screen versions of this. And I was kind of feeling like I almost wish that that was true to the book. Is I'm watching her react to this little boy, and you can tell that she's having an emotional time with this. That she is seeing for the first time someone who has been ripped apart from their demon. He is in this shed clutching a dried fish looking for his demon and he's just he keeps repeating over and over again where's I think his demon's name's Ratters yeah and a part of me feels like as since I read the book first I was like oh this is really touching this is really sad and then of course at the very end the little boy ends up dying Mm -hmm. and she has to deal with I think almost probably for the first time in her life this idea of death and what is really going on in the world around her. She's dealing now with what her mother is is doing by severing these children. And I think it's a really growth moment for Lyra. But as I was watching them, especially I think the TV series does a fantastic job with it. Um, when she knows him and all of a sudden yeah. she has a personal connection with this little boy it was, I'm sitting in my living room and I am like tears streaming down my face as I am watching this little boy just completely oblivious and and out of it. So if you really want a touching moment, it's in the TV series on HBO. But it was really well done and it was it was really heartfelt. But I don't know, is were there moments of the book that really stood out, scenes that you feel like this was just something that's going to stick with you for a while? Because I think that's one for me. As you have to think about it. Might have to think about it. Um, like I said, I, I I don't think I can get rid of the image of the bear tearing off another bear's jaw. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not what you're looking for. Um, one thing I do think is very interesting about that scene that you're talking about is that she is really protective of that kid. Where again, she can see that the adults aren't necessarily taking care of him. And one of them, she's like, I'm taking this kid with me. And they're like, okay, but are you going to pay for the fish? And she's like, he just had his soul ripped from him. I think you can sacrifice one fish. And then when he dies, she's like, well, what happened to the fish? And somebody's like, uh, I fed it to my dogs. I didn't know it was important, you know? And she's just horrified because like you said, that is the real world. And that's the world that she lives in. Um, I think... One of the things that sticks with me is just the viciousness of that golden monkey and the way that it would treat other demons. Um, Really, the way that the monkey reacts to anything. Every time it comes up, I'm just like, tensing everything. I'm so afraid it's going to come up. And then it's like making out with the snow leopard at the end. (laughs) I... I have so many questions about that. Like, they have been against each other. I thought this whole book. Yeah. Israel and... And Mrs. Coulter, and then suddenly stuff is happening with them and their demons. And I, I'm just, I'm very confused. Yeah. 
what's going on with that. See, that didn't surprise me. Because I think in the long run, both of them are on the same page for very different reasons. Okay. And so the fact that they're both still working kind of towards that same thing. And like you feel like because he's asking her, like, come with me. We can do this together. You can be set part of something bigger. And she decides not to follow him into the Northern Lights. So it's kind of like, okay, yeah, I can. They're going to now, like, I think their paths are now taking a very distinct fork and they're going to go into opposite directions but yeah i was really not that surprised when when they ended up maybe not making out the demons making out was a little weird or whatever was happening between those two there was i don't know i I, I can't think of a specific scene that i know will stick with me do you have one rachel i mean other than she's really thinking of these demons making out (laughs) yeah 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 that's so sorry no um (laughs) oh i i still want closure with with the demons with I don't and maybe it isn't part of this whole story arc and I just need to be okay with that but I still want the idea that your demon could be hurt or that you could be separated from it mm-hmm. and be okay because I think that that's something like if we're saying your demon is your soul I don't know I, I like the idea of a story that teaches like you know sometimes you are going to have something that rips your soul apart and you can live like your thought is no that will kill me and we all think that but in those moments like you do live and so I, I want someone I want someone in the story that is from a world where their soul is their demon to have you know that separation severed or mauled or hurt and to to come out stronger and living because I mm-hmm. just think what's I think know. that would be powerful for that's a good point so I I'm pretty sure we have touched on almost everything in um from our discord page There's one question that uh, says, if you could ask an alethiometer one question and fully understand the answer, what would it be? Oh, it's like serious or not serious. Well, this is our funny answers only to that question. (laughs) I really, I, because like, what is glitter made of? Still has never been solved. Like, that's all. Like, what symbols is it going to point to that it is made of? Why is it everywhere? Maybe glitter is dust in this story. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and that is how I'm going to picture it from now on. That is amazing. Well, I, I have nothing. I am not the type that usually thinks about like deep, that. really like wanting to know what the future is and what questions would I ask a genie or what would I wish for? Like, I'm just not that person that tends to dwell on those things. Yeah. Probably because I know deep down they're not realistic. And so why dwell on them if I'm never actually going to get them? Well, there are like some questions that I'm not sure I want answered, like, you know, how long do I have to wait before I find somebody who wants to marry me, <laughs> who I also want to marry? Like, you know, it's uh, what should I, I have for dinner would probably be a good question. I would, would constantly be, be asking if it could just give me three Ooh. options and I get to shoot those options down. What, like, what as do happens I in want for dinner? Every what night? chocolate just... chip recipe is actually the best chocolate chip <laughs> recipe? I have. The These are all important things to be asking the alethiometer, <laughs> which really she's only asking it like is so and so safe. What are they yeah. doing right yeah, now? I feel it's like not like she's asking. Have, like, I know in some ways I feel like she could have used it more. But that, that would, okay, that's a scene that might stick with me. I thought it was interesting when she's super, super worried about the upcoming battle with Yorick and Yofer, and she asks more than once, how do I help or what do I do? And the oh, answer yeah. is just trust him. And then she's like, and I got the general sense that it was upset with me for, for asking mm-hmm. again. And I don't know. I just, I think that that is interesting because I, I sometimes, my personal thing, I put a lot of like, maybe this, this dust has something to do with your own personal, like choice but also kind of your own personal just like have faith in something and if that's what's powering that that's her questioning and second guessing and it gets it gets upset with her for that i know (laughs) anything else that we want to touch on talk about any characters that we don't feel like i mean there are a couple of characters we really haven't touched on but it's true we didn't talk about the witches hardly at all they don't do a whole lot. They don't. I, I feel mean, like there was a lot of characters that were kind of would be interesting characters that came in and didn't have a lot of time. Because I think Serafina is a very interesting character. I'd love to know more about her. Mm-hmm. Um, she just wasn't in the book a whole lot. Mm-hmm. I think um, both um, John Fa, who's the, the leader yes. of the Egyptians, and um, Fodder Coram. I think both of them are really interesting characters. But again, we don't really get to delve 
too deep into it because we were definitely following Lyra and all of the multitude of people that help her along her pathway to yeah get back to her father, which I guess is her her ultimate goal is to find her father to give him the alethiometer. Right. So, anything else that? No. Not really. We're quiet. We're no, done overall, talking. Did, did you did you like it overall? I really did. I'm um this is gonna be one of those series that I'm going to pick up the next book. Um we haven't talked much about the like we got asked a little bit about the comparison to the T V show and the movie. Um as far as the T V show goes, I'm loving the T V show. I'm done with season one, which follows the first book, and I'm looking forward to following up the the T V show follows really well with the book series. So Good. There's not a lot of deviance from it. The movie was okay. They took a lot more liberties with the movie. Yeah. Um, I think the casting is great in the movie. Yeah, it was a fantastic cast. I thought it was really well cast. But it's just when you have two hours to tell a story compared to like a 10-hour series right. to tell the same story, you definitely get things cut and chopped out and yeah. and moved around to make something make more sense or something like that. So... If I was going to say go watch something that if you really liked this book and you want to watch it, I'd say watch the TV show, um, the TV series on HBO. But, and it's a good, it's a, it's a, I think it's family friendly. It's, I think, rated PG 14. So, I mean, kind of where the book already falls sure. yeah. age wise. I don't think HBO sure. took major liberties to make it mature. I was even surprised they don't even show like the jaw flying off oh. on oh. the TV show like they do in the movie. So as far as those go, those are my ratings and my ideas for for the TV <laughs> for show and the movies. If you want to <laughs> expand your your reading to other venues of the book. But yeah. I think we're kind of going to wrap up now. We may or may not do another recording. I'm sure that we're all probably I, going to read book two. Yeah, I'm definitely reading through finishing it, the series. And book three, we're all going to finish the series. It's just a matter of whether we decide to make a recording of either just the ladies or if we decide to bring some of those other guys that tend to record with us into this. I mean, they'd have to read the books. So (laughs) if they have to, I mean, they have a lot to do. Hey, we do also, but we just finished Rhythm of War, so I think if we can read all I of this, I still have so part five they. on Rhythm of War. <laughs> but hopefully, if you enjoy, it, if you want more, if you want us to do more of this, let us know. We would probably be more than happy to come back into studio and continue discussing his dark materials. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, I got matter in my head again, and I was like, no, that's coming out wrong. Um. <laughs> I'm sure we'd be happy to come back and do um, book two and book three. I'm excited to continue reading. So again, if you want to support us, go to Patreon. You can find all of our links on thelegendarium.com to Discord and Reddit and Facebook and everywhere else that we're posted. And we will see you later. Thanks. Thanks.